Let us pray. Lord, open your hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our New Testament reading comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 27 to 29. Let us listen now to what the Spirit is saying to the church. As many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's Gospel reading comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. 
John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer. Lord, today, in this unique time, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Throughout human history, the people who changed the world typically have been given or claimed an extraordinary birth story. The Buddha, Alexander the Great, the poet Kabir. In our own tradition, Moses, Isaac, and John the Baptist all claimed or were given an amazing birth story to frame their life, their ministry, their work, their mission in more dramatic terms. And while Matthew and Luke chose a virgin birth for Jesus in a manger, and John goes for a beginning of the world kind of thing, Mark's birth story might just be the most amazing of them all because it's a story that by God's grace we can make our own. In Mark's account of Jesus' life, there are no details about his life prior to his baptism. From Mark's perspective, it as, is as if nothing of consequence really happened to Jesus before he stepped out of that water and heard God's voice say, You are my son, the beloved with you, I am well pleased. Jesus' life, at least for Mark, begins with his baptism. And as we know, in baptism, God also claims us. In baptism, God frees us from sin and from death, uniting us with Jesus in his own death and resurrection. Or to put it more clearly, our life also begins with our baptism. And those baptized by water and the Spirit, as those who've been given this great and glorious gift, we have also been given a new identity, a new purpose a new way of understanding ourselves and other people. Once we step out of that water 
We are no longer defined by our choices or our primary relationships. We are no longer first a citizen of any nation or a member of any political party. We are no longer, as Paul says, male or female, slave or free. We are no longer on the side of right or the side of wrong. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Which is to say we are all children of God, members of God's family, a family that includes, as we know from experience, all kinds of people, nice people and mean people, tax collectors and sinners, liars, cheats, and saints as well, progressives, moderates, and conservatives, a family that includes every race, gender, sexuality, color, and creed, which means, of course, that any identity, any tribe, any group that seeks to lay claim on our lives must take a back seat to the claim that God has made on each of us and all of us. We belong to God. We don't belong to anybody else. This past week was difficult. With all its instability, insurrection, and infection, to me this past week had some apocalyptic overtones to it. Now the word apocalypse literally means an unveiling or a pulling back of the curtain to reveal what is true. And what the events of this past week have revealed, to me at least, is a nation deeply divided. A nation with a long history of resorting to violence and sectarianism when our future is uncertain. The curtain has been pulled back to reveal a country where groups of people, all different kinds of groups of people, mind you, subjugate, condemn, and demonize other groups to secure the future they believe is rightly theirs and theirs alone. As a nation, as a people, we are in the wilderness, which is a really good thing, because that's exactly where Jesus meets us time and time again. I wonder what it was like standing in line with all those people, waiting to be baptized in the muddy waters of the Jordan River by John, of all people. It must have been really odd. People from all walks of life, country folk and city folk, implicitly admitting before strangers that they were broken, that they were flawed, that they were complicit in some way for the way things were. Such vulnerability before other people is uncommon and uncomfortable, but we also know it's necessary for growth and renewal. It must have been so odd standing in line with all those sinners but I have to believe it must have been hopeful, too. Hopeful to see all those people, all those different kinds of people, who also wanted to see things change. The whole experience alone, just waiting in line, must have been life-transforming, especially when they realized who was standing in line with them. To be honest, when I watched protesters push past police at the Capitol on Wednesday, my primary emotion, my first emotion, was righteous anger. It's always a fun one. I wasn't surprised, really, at the spectacle playing out on live TV, given the current state of political discourse, but 
I was surprised at how angry it made me feel and how good that anger felt. At least I wasn't like them, I thought quietly to myself. At least I'm not knee-deep in an illusion that compels me to act out in ways that do not reflect the love and mercy of God. That was hell I felt, righteously indignant. Until I saw it. And once I saw it, everything changed for me. Maybe you saw it too, that huge Jesus 2020 banner draped across the Capitol steps. I can't, I can't get that image out of my mind. The very idea of Jesus being co-opted by one group over and against another group was disturbing enough to break through my anger and, frankly, my hypocrisy. Staring at that Jesus 2020 banner, it hit me. The truth hit me. The truth that was being covered up by all that righteous anger. The truth that I wasn't all that different than all those people I was watching with such disdain. I certainly do not agree with what they did, but if I'm honest, I understand it. I understand it because I too long to be part of something bigger than myself. I too want to feel safe and heard and seen and loved. I too want to feel like I'm living a life that has some purpose, some meaning to it. I too want a family, a group that understands me and calls me their own. Don't we all want those things? Truth be told, none of us here may have breached our nation's capital this past week, but we have all done our part in bringing us to this point in our nation's history. This is the truth that baptism demands that we see. The truth that in some way we are all complicit. We've all tried to serve multiple masters, that we've all trafficked in lies, that we've all hated people for what they believe, that we've all forgotten who and whose we and they are. This is the truth that confronts you and me when we're standing in line with all those sinners waiting to be baptized in the wilderness. The Whisper Test is a book written by Mary Ann Bird. In the book, The Whisper Test, she shares her life story. Mary Ann, you see, was born with multiple birth defects. Deaf in one ear, a cleft palate, a disfigured face, a crooked nose, lopsided feet. During her childhood, Marianne suffered through these physical ailments, of course, but she also endured the emotional damage inflicted by other kids. Marianne, her classmates would taunt her, what happened to your lip? I cut it on a piece of glass, she would lie to them. Every year at school, Marianne and all her classmates had to take what they called the whisper test, an annual hearing check which back then was conducted by the classroom teacher. The teacher would call each child up to her desk, and the child would cover first one ear and then the other. The teacher would then whisper something to the child, something like, the sky is blue, or you have new shoes. The whisper test. If the child could hear and repeat the sentence, they passed. If they could not, they failed. 
Little Mary Ann was terrified, always terrified that she would fail the test. And so to avoid humiliation, she would cheat on the whisper test, secretly cupping her hand over her one good ear so she could still hear what the teacher was saying. One year, Marianne was in Miss Leonard's class. Now, Miss Leonard was one of the most beloved teachers in the school. Every child, including Marianne, wanted so badly to be noticed by Miss Leonard, to be loved by her. Well, the day of the dreaded hearing test came. When it was her turn, Mary Ann was called up to Miss Leonard's desk, and she cupped her hand over her good ear. And as she did that, Miss Leonard leaned forward a bit to whisper in her ear. I waited for those words, Mary Ann writes, which God must have put into her mouth, those seven words that changed my life. Miss Leonard did not say, the sky is blue, or you have new shoes. What she whispered to that broken, beautiful girl was, I wish you were my little girl. From that moment on, Mary Ann dared to believe that she was actually a person of inner beauty and worth. Isn't that why we're here? Are we here so we can cup our hands over our ears and listen for the whispering truth of God? You are my beloved child in whom I delight. When the disciples heard Jesus call out to them, they were compelled by more than just the voice of God. They dropped everything to follow Jesus because they sensed in him an opportunity to discover, to figure out, to learn who they really were. Jesus was giving them more than a way out of the current situation. He was giving them a way forward. He was giving them a chance at a second birth. My family practices a tradition. I think I've told you this before. It's a tradition passed on to us by a really good friend in my first church I served. Every year on the anniversary of our kids' baptisms, we celebrate their baptism by retelling their baptismal story. We leave out no details from the day. The weather, the church, the pastor, the location. We share all of it to imprint the memory in their minds. It's a wonderful tradition, and I'm so thankful to have been given it because I know, I know there will be a time when my children need to start over. There will be a time when they need a new story that allows them to be more than their mother's daughter or their father's son. There will be a time when they need to shed long-held beliefs and biases and practices that are keeping them from the truth. There will be a time in their lives when they need to be reborn. And at that moment, it is my deep and fervent prayer that they will remember their baptism. At some point, to become the people we were created to be, we need to embrace a new narrative, a new story about ourselves that is bigger and broader than all the little stories we cling so tightly to. 
as the events of this past week have reminded us in a world where way too many people find their identity in stories of tribalism, sectarianism, or nationalism, what we desperately need are people who find their identity in a story that is big enough and broad enough to include all people. I agree with David Lose, theologian, who believes that we are suffering an identity crisis as a people and as a nation. We have let regional, political, and ideological commitments that are important, we've let them define us to the point that it has become so easy to see someone who differs from us and along any of those lines, to see them as threatening. We are at a moment, he thinks, when the question for the citizens of this country is, can you differ with another person on important issues and still see them as American? But for Christians, the question is even more profound. Can you see someone who differs from you on important issues? Can you still see them as a fellow child of God? It doesn't matter how old we are. We all need a story to believe in. If there is no storyline, if there is no integrated set of images that define who we are, or give our lives meaning and direction, it is really difficult to find joy and peace in this chaotic world. As storyteller Clarissa Pincola Estes writes, stories set the inner life into motion. And this is particularly important when the inner life is frightened or wedged or cornered. Story greases the hoists and pulleys. It causes adrenaline to surge. It shows us the way out, down, or up, and for our trouble, cuts for us fine, wide doors in previously blank walls, openings that lead to the dreamland, that lead to love and learning, that lead us back to our own real lives. In my experience, there is only one story out there that has the power to cut open doors in previously blank walls that are big enough for everyone to walk through. And it's a story that has the extra bonus of being true. We are all loved by God. We are all claimed by God in the wilderness, in the water. We are all God's children. And if you struggle at times to believe this, as I do, Remember your baptism. Remember that moment when God leaned in and whispered the truth to you. You are beautiful and broken, and you are mine. Amen.